there is a, a disinformation program literally for everyone, no matter who you are and what, what your interests are, uh, what your beliefs are, uh, which, which way you're focusing. There is a website set up just for you to take you in and to vector your thinking and your attention into the way that they want you to think. You are listening to Radio Free Signs of the Times, broadcasting into the heart of an occupied America. Welcome to this week's Signs of the Times podcast. After our short hiatus of a few weeks, we're back, and this week we have a guest. His name is Oliver. He's from Poland, and we're going to be discussing several topics uh, with Oliver, chiefly to do with Poland and Eastern Europe uh, in general, uh, the history and what Poland is, is like today. Uh, what it was like under a communist rule, and um, we're also going to touch on American influence in the Eastern European region, uh, the reasons for it, and um, and the effects. Uh, and we're also going to be talking a little bit about uh, Hungary specifically, which uh, was in the news last week when there were protests against the Hungarian Prime Minister um, and some some level of civil disturbance. So. Oliver, you're welcome to the Science of the Times podcast. Thank you for having me, and uh, welcome, everybody. For the benefit, I suppose, mainly of our American listeners, uh, we wanted to touch a little bit on um, on the communist era in Poland, which uh, you have some experience of, um, having grown up in it. Yes, um, indeed. And, um, I mean, a lot of the perception, obviously, of, of, um, of communism particularly in America, is uh, shaped, uh, has been shaped for for a long time by obviously by the media and by the American government. Uh, what they th- their their depiction of communism, uh, what it was all about, uh, is what the average uh, American person believes. Um, essentially, for a long time, communists uh, were enemy number public enemy number one in America, mm-hmm. and uh, I think a lot of Americans obviously weren't able to relate to that directly because they. Uh, they didn't really ever think about it to the point of understanding that obviously there were millions and millions, hundreds of millions of people uh, who were essentially under communist uh, rule, but these were ordinary people. So uh, how was life when you were growing up on, in, in Poland uh, under a communist uh, government? What, um, what, was that, what was that like? Uh, as uh, in contrast to what you know of of, of Western and capitalist uh, countries? Well, um, the first difference was that, I mean, I see two things. One was the external enemy, and that was mostly United States, and the other one was um, internal enemy. So uh, let's say from the, from grassroots, from pe- for people, we, we could see basically one enemy which was mostly spoken of by our government, and that was the United States and the NATO countries. And the other one was uh, actually perceived by the people, and that was the government itself. And the one thing which I've already spoken of and which, is, uh, which makes Eastern Europeans different, uh, differ from Americans is that 
they were actually living for 50 years under dictatorial rule. So uh, communism was actually imposed on Poland in 46 and 47. So, and it was perceived as, uh, as such. It was imposed system where people recognized that the government was, uh, was not to be trusted, that the that uh, military would not, was not to be trusted, that politicians were n not trustworthy, and there were people who were telling mostly lies and propaganda. Uh, thus, the press and the media was, was naturally extension of that propaganda, so ordinary people did not really trust what they were reading and seeing on the TV. They were living and they were discussing the political issues with each other, but they uh, they knew that mostly what was being said in the official media was a lie. And this was a common understanding among mo most people. So people were aware that they were living under a dictatorship. They were aware that there was no freedom of press, uh, no freedom of speech, um, and they could do nothing about it. That was life as it was. But you, you mentioned that... Uh, America was seen during this time as, as an enemy as well. I mean, w did people understand that maybe the, the idea of America as the enemy was also just uh, government propaganda, or did they actually believe that? Well, um, as far as I remember, this was more like the big brother. The Russians were telling us that Americans are our greatest enemy. But not all of the people were buying into it, and... Uh, you know, maybe in 50s and 60s when this threat was real, when there was the crisis between Cuban crisis, right, where, where there was a crisis between USA and Russia, then that was perceived as a threat. But as far as I remember, 70s and 80s, this was not perceived to be a threat. In fact, Poland perceived, at least Polish perceived Americans as quite developed and they were some kind of role models for them. So mm -hmm. there was mm -hmm. some kind of dichotomy, something. Russians were telling us, oh, these guys are bad, but the people would see Americans as interesting, as having ideas, having advanced technology, mm -hmm. being democratic, actually, mm -hmm. being a paragon of a democracy. Of course, that might have been propaganda from, from the American, uh, the, uh, the extent to which the American government was able to get propaganda into communist countries and, and uh, because, you know, I mean, a common... Uh, a common idea that, that, that I have, anyway, or, or a memory that I have, is of um, you know Russians and Eastern Europeans all uh, really uh, having a strong desire to to go to America to have these American freedoms to to uh, you know to have all the benefits of capitalism. You know, this was uh, something that they aspired to. Well, this was like the granny, grass is always greener on the other side. It mm -hmm. was purely this when they were going over there. Then this uh, illusion was, you know slowly disappearing but if you don't go to america you don't know that what america is really like so they had that illusion that america was a place to live to be mm -hmm. so you had a society in poland under the communist rule where it was very very clear that the government was not of the people and for the people it was something that was imposed how did people cope in daily life well, and this is an interesting thing because such a, such a knowledge, such, a, such an awareness was, was causing people to actually unite. It was a little bit like us against them, us being the people, mm -hmm. whereas them being the government and mm -hmm. various uh, 
institutions of the government. So there was this division was very much uh, distinct, right? And um, for example, when you were having the, one way of people were co one way the people were coping was by um, having uh, by joking about the system. This is the, the way that you know psychological stress wa was relieved, and when people would meet privately, they would just joke about it. They would joke about politicians, about um, the system, about uh, the newest press release, whatever. They were they were cabarets done uh, based on that, and this is and in fact government was even allowing this because this was a way of channeling that mm -hmm. resent. Mm -hmm. resentment right yeah so they would uh, they would just keep a blind eye on this so in terms of daily life were there i mean it was it was presented to the western world to your western european countries um and to and, and to american uh people that uh you know communism was a was a was a terrible regime and uh, yeah, or a terrible kind of form of government it was a dictatorship essentially and people people were oppressed I mean, in terms of daily life, were there um, very clear um, hardships as a result of this kind of re regime? I mean, um, compared to Western life at the time in, in, in the in the seventies and eighties, you had you know, you, in a, particularly in America, you had people uh, you know were free supposedly to make as much money as they wanted. They had the biggest uh, cars they wanted. They had everything they wanted supposedly materially. Um, was that was was the opposite the case in 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 in, in, in Poland? You know, in Poland um, during these in those times of communism, there were a few things which were actually quite uh, modern and you know which we could be proud of. And one of them was education, for example. It was free, absolutely free for anybody who mm. wanted to including study. university, including university, including post university. So mm -hmm. education was free. And that, you know, that was something that I don't see now mm -hmm. <laughs> in America. You mean. Yeah, in America or in Western Europe, it was free. So that thus we had a lot of people with high degrees who were actually well educated, still based on the no, on the you know so-called pre-war school. So very thorough, uh, you know, education. So this is one thing. Another thing was that seventies uh, were times of uh, Gierek. And these were the times when Poland received quite a lot of loans from uh, Western Europe. So Polish would leave on credit, a little bit like Americans. But that was mostly, these credits were mostly given to the, to the state. So the state was building roads, building um, bridges, and investing in, investing in factories. So there was this feeling of um, the communism can be can be good can be can be okay because we also have like Americans we have new roads we have uh, factories we have inventions so but this was all naturally based on you know this was using the money that was given to Poland as loans but then after that in 80s the crisis you know settled in because you had to pay back that money and this is when most of the 80s in the eastern countries were about the economic crisis that eventually brought the collapse of the uh, eastern bloc so that was interesting also because you would have enough to live, you know, you would have enough money for for having food and basics, you know. So you, you don't have to worry about where you live or what you eat because that was granted pretty much. 
and your salary was enough to cover that. But pretty much you didn't have anything like cars. It was a, you would have, have to wait for a car for two years to get it because there was undersupply of it. And Levi's jeans, for example. Yes, everything like this. This would be difficult to get. So there was an economic. There were economic troubles, but that brought people very much together, like a family. I remember yeah. living. Uh, in our block, and and we we knew all the neighbors by 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 first and last name. Mm-hmm. So if my parents were going, for example, to France, for for whatever money, they would leave us for a month with with a neighbor. We would go to school. The neighbor would take care of us. There was such a close relationship, and not just one staircase. We knew pretty much all the people in our block, like ten staircases right, ten staircases left. So. We had a group of hundred children, you know, on the on the streets. We all knew, knew each other. There was, you know, some a sense sort of, of community. Yes, very much. And that worked. Uh, that worked because if somebody had something that the other person didn't have, you could go and ask, and then in return give some other favor. Mm-hmm. Right. So there was this feeling that all right, we don't have so much, mm-hmm. but we are pretty much. We're in this together. Yes, and we. Mo- the main subject of discussion was actually politics and and the and the system. Mm-hmm. And and did that change then with the with the um, collapse, as you say, of the Eastern Bloc or the fall of of communism? Um, did did that kind of uh, community um, orientation um, among the people? Did that did that change with the opening up of of, mm-hmm. of the market and? The, well, yes, because, well, that changed very quickly, actually, because, as, we, as I said earlier, by 94, all of that feeling of uh, community was gone. Mm-hmm. Because when, when the system changed, actually, with the round table of uh, 1989 in April, then the new government was formed, which was partially communistic and partially um, solidarity, solidarność. And then um, everybody... Everything was allowed, so uh, that meant everybody was taking care of the business, of the money. Mm-hmm. And it was like from this community that where people were living together, suddenly everybody just focused on their own business and literally doing business to survive. So by 94, this, this communistic times, you know, seemed like long forgotten past it was it was gone people would just you know live separately they would don't they wouldn't know neighbors in their staircase this happened within just five years hmm. so that was gone but the new system all right if i look at the changed well what do what is important about this um, I mean, other benefits? Well, benefits clearly was that suddenly in this country the, the, the shops were empty. There was nothing in the shops. You couldn't buy anything in the shops. That was after the fall that, of the That was before. Um, but after, mm. within on the, uh, in the same year, 89 borders opened. There mm-hmm. was no trade um, restrictions, which meant that anything could be imported from anywhere. Mm-hmm. United States, uh, Western Europe, from Asia. And that, you know, that was this feeling of liberation because you could finally buy whatever you want mm-hmm. so mostly this liberation was that you could say whatever you want and you could go and you had something some goods in the shop as opposed to mm-hmm. what was before that sh- shops were empty and mm-hmm. you'd have to arrange it through some connections to buy something mm-hmm. and in terms of, of the of the new political system uh, in Poland after the fall of communism um, 
I mean, was there more access? I'm assuming there was more access uh, by the ordinary person to the world of, of, of politics or political life. I mean, rather than uh, people being appointed or chosen, um, you know, supposedly there was democracy and there was, you know, I mean, we have our reservations about democracy and even in, in the West. And um, But, I mean, from that point of view, was it... I mean, what I'm trying to get at here was 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 there a tangible kind of opening up in terms of freedoms, general freedoms in, in political life, in social life, in in and in, in you know in this kind of area. Well, obviously, and I think this is in fact th- this was that was a time of you know I would say the biggest democracy, and I mean uh, this was the time that you could do actually. Anything because there were new government, there were new everything was new, and um, and that means that there were no laws to check. Nobody was checking what you're doing, what you're saying, how you make business. This was it's like wild west, you know. Literally anything was allowed, and that included politics. If you wanted to go to politics, you you would just go into poli- any party. Like there was one or two parties, or then ten parties from you know coming from solidarity, and then you could. If this was one of the biggest pa- bigger parties, uh, then you could get to ga- uh, parliament fairly easily. Mm-hmm. So uh, yes, I would say that uh, at that time, you c- this was a period maybe of five years until ninety uh, until ninety four. Then there was relative freedom, which means that because the new system hasn't hasn't settled in yet, uh, people were not so much you know checked, you know, invigilated, and uh, so this was interesting. And a lot of things, a lot of uh, people were more s- mostly uh, concerned at that time with making money mm-hmm. because this was, this was the mm, something. Yet, on the other hand, uh, I heard some reports that people who were chosen to the round table in Poland were actually handpicked by the intelligence services, which means that they were trustworthy. They would not go against what was the plan. So you might say that this new elite that was coming up after 89 uh, had some connections with the previous one. And uh, it's hard to say really what, but one thing is sure that the military and the intelligence services were still communistic. And not just for five years, they were communistic until recently. And this specifically I speak about uh, intelligence services, military intelligence services. Mm-hmm. Then what happened in say, 1994, 1995, to start bringing back laws and regulations and to start to control things once more? Well, mostly what happens, there were a lot of scandals, mostly uh, scandals related to um, politicians abusing political power for, uh, for, for gain, for material gain, for money about import scandals there was a scandal called FOSS which is which was a fund that was uh, meant was set up by Polish government quietly to pay Polish debt to buy Polish debt on international markets and for very little and then paid back just like Romani Romania has done so and that money was not used for the purpose but it was simply by several people these were millions of money these were money taken in trains outside of Poland, and this was defrauded, this was taken away by some people. So these kind of things were 93, 4, 5, 6, these kind of scandals, you know, you know, were most probably used 
or you could even speculate that they were created in order to reinstitute, reinstall the laws of the past only with a slight change. So today, what's it like today in, for example, Poland, for the average person, and in, and in other uh, Eastern European countries that you, that, that, that you travel to, that, that you're aware of? What, what is, in, in, in terms of life in Western Europe and America, I mean, mm-hmm. what is it like? Well, as far as you look at the life today, well, you can see that the business-wise, the business, business practices are pre- pretty much the same as in the United States. They were taken and implanted and instituted by most of the American corporations, this which is are globalization, or yes, free this market, is or so liberal. Poland, or Hungary, or or Czechoslovakia, Czech or Slovakia. They are all like uh, little copies of United States as far as the business practice is concerned, with most of the biggest American corporations uh, present over there. This is one thing. So the business. Uh, it's like, um, this is it, uh, as far as living, well... In terms of culture, for example, has there been much infiltration of American culture, for example, into... Very much. This is another area where uh, Poland has taken uh, a lot from America. And um, it's like sometimes we have jokes among, among people that we used to be, whatever, uh, Republic of Russia... 25th or whatever, now we are 23rd, uh, 54th state of United States. Mm-hmm. So we went, and this is often said that we went from one extreme of being a republic, uh, being yeah, a republic of uh, Uni- uh, Soviet Union into being a state of United States. And when people turn on their televisions, is there a lot of American television that they see? And Absolutely. When you go to the movies, it's American films. Mostly American films. Turn on the radio, it's American music. Uh, American music, yes, uh, American news, uh, and uh, pretty much how you see how the news uh, agencies and media work, it's like a um, copy of American, things American. So, uh, and then would it be the same thing in Hungary and in Romania? And in Absolutely. I've yeah. been to, uh, I've traveled a lot to Hungary and Romania and... Um, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't differ. It's the same like in Poland, which means they they in, in introduce the same culture, the same things, mm-hmm. which are mostly American. Mm-hmm. So, I think you were in Hungary recently. I think you were there when this recent crisis erupted. Yes. Can you tell us what it was that set that off? Um, well. This was quite an interesting situation because uh, in May, the uh, current uh, Prime Minister uh, Ferenc Gyurcsányi, he uh, had a speech, uh, a secret speech to the Politburo or the Bureau of the Party of the Hungarian uh, Socialist Party, and he, he wanted to convince the hard-headed socialists, the leaders of that party, to introduce the reforms, and he has used quite strong language and he has said a few things that uh, maybe he wouldn't say publicly like that for the four years they didn't say any they didn't say truth about the state of Hungarian mm, uh, economy to to the voters so before elections they were actually uh, keeping the data hidden or they in other words they were lying about it because they didn't reveal it 
So, uh, and that recording of 25 minutes speech was later, recently, 17th of, uh, I believe, uh, September was released and made a huge storm. This was the basis, let's say. This was the trigger event that caused, uh, um, you know, what followed afterward. And what happens afterwards was that um, um, the Fides, which is an opposition party, uh, in the upcoming uh, municipal elections, they seized the opportunity and they started to criticize the government and asked, wanted them to leave, especially the Ferenc Gjertsani. And um, so nobody the tape, knows. Mm -hmm. The tape was released just prior to an important municipal election in Budapest. Which are taking tomorrow. Mm -hmm. which is on Sunday, the 1st of uh, October. And there were riots in the... There were yes, which caused... And nobody knows how it happens, but there were riots actually for two or three days in a row um, in the center of Budapest, in, the, um, uh, in front of the parliament. There was a tent city over there, and people were protesting, people were marching, and uh, cars are being burned, police, there were clashes with police, a TV station was actually, there was an assault, an attack on TV station. By the rioters. By the rioters. Mm -hmm. and, um, and then... Were these ordinary people or was this... Maybe? Well, it's hard to say. The, the media is saying that these were mostly uh, skinheads and football fans or soccer fans, mm. right? Mm -hmm. But uh, I've seen some pictures and I, I'm not sure that this is the correct information. Maybe there were some people who were genuinely... Um, against such a situation, but there were a lot of people who were most probably went to streets because Fides, which is the opposition, was trying to uh, uh, use that opportunity and uh, and show the um, Hungarian Socialist Party's real the face. Government, yeah. Well, yeah. it's interesting you pointed out that there was a tent city that appeared because the use of tents was also what well, we saw these in other so-called revolutions yes. in such as in in Georgia in the Ukraine yes. and in those cases these tent cities were being paid for and supplied by the United States to well, the opposition yes. forces yes and uh, i c i have no uh, facts about that uh, but uh, but i would not be surprised if that would be also the case in Hungary, because clearly there was somebody be behind these people who was, who was the driving them to do what and they were doing. there was somebody behind the timing yes. of the release of this tape. Yes. Um, Is there a reason to believe that the, or would you say that the the ruling, uh, the, the sitting government in um, in Hungary is 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 not um, in favor with the uh, with the Americans? I mean, are they? Because this is what I'm thinking here. If if, if, mm -hmm. if what we're suggesting might be the case, where these uh, this situation where the government was exposed and there were riots and there were tent, tent cities, and that this might have been supported by the Americans to some extent, that, that would suggest that, this, that that the Americans were supporting the opposition party, and therefore they had some problem with the with the government, the present government. Uh, I agree with you, Job. The reason is that there, when there was a um, Yugoslavian invasion war, remember this was the Fides, which was in power at that time, uh, Viktor Orban, who is the main guy of the opposition, he was the one who was in power when the Americans were using Hungary as a platform to send their planes and troops to Yugoslavia, let's say planes, right? So uh, he was very close with, uh, with, Americans. with Americans, whereas when the 
a socialist party get, got back to, uh, to, um, to government, which was three or four years ago, then probably Americans fell out of favor so much as they were before. Mm -hmm. And you might say that this was, uh, this was the Fidesz and, um, and some American hmm. forces, uh, let's say, with American support could have been taking the opportunity or even mm. arranging this release of this tape. Do you think there's going to be any uh, significant um, repercussions from from what has happened last week from these riots and this the, the, the releasing of this tape? Is it, I mean, is it possible that the, that the current government might be in trouble uh, at these elections? Or well, I don't think so because people very much don't like the Fides because uh, what I was observing during. Elections, maybe. What kind of party is the Fidesz? It's Fidesz a is a wrong, right wing, right? right so wing. this okay. is the so, MS, so MSP is the left wing, which are former communists, and uh, Fidesz is the. So they're ideological yeah. partners with Americans. And yes, yes. Right wing. And um, well, you know, I don't think the, what is important to remember that the the subject of these tapes was. Uh, were very unpopular reforms that uh, the government of Ferenc Giorgiani has to go through because uh, because they were spending money without without telling people about it. They created quite a big uh, budgetary hole, and now they have a, a deficit of ten percent. So he has to introduce very restrictive uh, monetary policy, which means he wants to increase seriously increase taxes and cut on public spending. To, in order to control the situation, mainly on healthcare, mm -hmm. he wants to make people pay for the for for, for the healthcare. So uh, this is very unpopular. This is, uh, in fact, uh, people don't understand that. And he was trying to convince the hard-headed communists to agree on this. And this is why the speech came. So uh, there will be there will be more taxes. So if we look at the, this point of view, you might say that the, his party was not telling the truth because exactly they wanted to get to the point where they will have uh, justification to increase the taxes, right? Mm -hmm. As a form of control of uh, of society. So the pressure on the streets, even if it doesn't bring Fides back into power, it serves to continue putting pressure on the government to maintain these reforms, which the way you describe them would certain be, certainly be in line with the kind of globalist reforms that the exactly. United States is, is pushing yeah. for around the world. Exactly. So uh, he, he has to have those reforms ready, and he, has to, he created a situation where that will be possible by whatever means. Hmm. So how, I mean, this might be getting a little deeper into conspiracy Theories, well, but we can speculate. Uh, we can speculate. Okay, how much control do do the Americans, for example, the American government, the Bush government, exert, and, and the neocons uh, exert over Polish politics or Hungarian politics? Well, you have to remember one thing: that um, uh, one of the one of the advisors to President of the United States was uh, Mr. Brzezinski. And Mr. Brzezinski... Who was National Security Advisor for Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter, exactly. Mm. Uh, and as you know, he's a, a known person in America. He's he's known person in America. He's also known person in Poland. He speaks Polish. And he's regarded as... He's uh, considered a very successful person. He's considered to be... Uh, 
is a role model. He's a role model in a way, yes. So Polish see him as a national hero of some sorts. Mm. So there is this, uh, uh, this cooperation between, uh, between, let's say, there's this similar ideology in a way with some of the Polish politicians that, that represent um, what Mr. Brzezinski is doing. But if I go back to the beginning of the first Gulf War, then Polish made some favors for the Amer- for Americans in Iraq because Poland was in Iraq before. So there were some agents that were actually uh, taken out of Iraq by Polish Secret Service. So you could say that there was a very friendly relationship in terms of um, intelligence agencies, right? They were cooperating with each other and um, that uh, we were always friendly. Whenever there was a change, all the politicians were speaking friendly about the United States. Mm. They all wanted to join NATO and they all wanted to cooperate. So... There was uh, always talk of cooperation and there were favors given to the United States. But that was in the 90s and it was not particularly big favors. They were not something that would be considered to be improper or not politically correct. There were just favors. And now, these days, we have a different situation because we have CIA planes landing in Poland. And we have President of uh, Poland going to, to, to USA mm-hmm. and then to Israel. And mm-hmm. his brother, his brother being a, his twin brother, being a prime minister, and they all have clearly contacts with uh, with, uni- with the government of the United States. Mm-hmm. So you'd say that the current uh, Polish government is very much pro-American and pro-Israel, as opposed to not pro-American and pro-Israel. Yes, I, I would certainly say they are very much more pro-American than they are towards the Eastern, towards Russia, mm-hmm. where they constantly fight with Russia mm-hmm. on every level. Mm-hmm. And speaking of which, there was recently uh, a change in the um, intelligence agencies. They, they, they liquidated or they shut down uh, the military intelligence uh, agency, which was under supervision of army. They closed it. They are closing it today, and from tomorrow, tomorrow there are two agencies which are civil run, which are civil servants doing counter intelligence as well as military intelligence, and these people you know, report directly to the government. And uh, you ask me, well, what's so special about it? Well, I tell you that uh, the military was still in control of the Russian friendly. Uh, people, because these were people from the communist t- times who are who were still generals and they were in the army. So, because these new presidents couldn't handle them, they had to introduce, they had to shut down the the agency and create new ones with their own people who were who will be friendly to United States. So uh, now we have this thing going on. So you might say that uh, they are they are neocons. Only they are very quiet about it. Mm. They simply go and visit the United States and Israel, and they are not talking about any details of what's going on, what's going on really. It seems to me that, uh, I mean, Poland's uh, importance um, in terms of on, on, the, on the international stage uh, increased, at least as well, uh, as far as... European countries and, and America were concerned when they joined uh, the European Union, w- along with <coughs> along with nine other 
Eastern European, mm-hmm. more or less, countries mm-hmm. two years ago, in 2004, you know, yes. because Poland was a, of those 10 countries, Poland was by far the biggest. The biggest, I think yes. it had 40 million people or something. So, I mean, while the European Union is supposedly, you know, based on equality in every country, regardless of size, has an equal vote and stuff, that's just, that's nonsense, you know. Uh, I mean, there Obviously. are people, I mean, uh, uh, the, the influence is dictated by size and by gross domestic pro- product and, and various other factors. Um, so Poland has a, has a is, is by far the biggest of these ten countries that joined the European Union two years ago, and um, obviously in terms of uh, American uh, interest in controlling or having an influence in the European Union and the direction of of uh, you know policies within the European Union, um, obviously Poland was up for grabs type of thing as it entered the exactly. uh, as it entered the, the European Union. Um, there has has there been a change of government. In Poland? Since in the past two or three years? Yes, the the, the government was changed last year, in 2005. Okay. And the government before that was... Was uh, left party, left, left side. Okay. So, uh, and they were, well, they were also quite open towards Americans. Yeah, but because they also supported the aggression in Iraq. Yes, yes they sent troops. Mm-hmm. So they were supportive, but uh, what they is were important... Also, they were also... During the discussions, the final discussions uh, a couple of years ago about Europe and how it would be organized, they were one of the the people that were very set against the French propositions. Yes, they were trying the to voting and throw the yes. weight around a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yes. So you see, despite of the fact that both of these governments were from different spectrum of the political stage, from different side, they both. Uh, supported the United States, mm-hmm. and what is I- what is interesting as far as Europe is concerned that Poland always considers whether whether to be with America or NATO or to be with EU with the U- United Europe European and Union. A European Union. Yes, and and so this is always there. Always uh, there is always whether we do something. So the politicians are asking, is it good for our European uh, allies? Or you do something that Americans don't like. Is it good with our uh, American allies? So uh, and it, it varies. Sometimes it goes toward more towards e- EU, Europe, Europe. Sometimes it goes towards uh, uh, America. But in terms of military operation, Poland is standing behind. Poland was part of the coalition of the willing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Had troops in Iraq. Yeah. Yes. In Afghanistan as well. But then that sets up something interesting because you've been saying that the Polish military is also one of the the last bastions of generals who are from the communist epoch and who were in support of uh, the Soviet Union and now Russia or have the the closer the desire to have a closer alliance with Russia so you have a very strong you have a military that would have these kinds of of generals and then being put in a position of supporting the coalition of becoming part of the coalition of the willing that must have been Difficult for well, these yes. generals. Yes, and this is that's why there's the struggle. That's why the new intelligence agency is created because this is a reflection of that struggle. That some part of that military, not necessarily intelligence, military, which means generals, the army, they are still in the communistic 
mind frame and they want to align themselves more with Russia, whereas, you know, the intelligence agencies are fully cooperating with mm. Americans. And there is this, that's why they, the, there was a, this new agency created. So there's a full control of, the, uh, of the, these uh, agencies by the government, not the army, which is still slightly or in part, you know, gravitating towards Russia. Mm -hmm. So there is this struggle. It seems to me that uh, Poland's participation in the invasion of Iraq, uh, I mean, uh, w the the reason, as I see it, at least on one level, why uh, any countries became part of the coalition of the willing was the uh, the fact that America held out uh, the opportunity or the possibility of very lucrative deals yes. uh, in terms of um, plundering Iraq. Exactly. And, and it seems that Poland... Um, Has know, gotten some of the yeah, contracts... I mean, they, they, you know, they, they saw an opportunity to to boost their their own kind of uh, wealth or, um, yes. or the wealth of the country, supposedly, uh, and maybe uh, you know get their get their hand in on some of the oil deals or the access to oil uh, from Iraq. Absolutely, this is absolutely the case, uh, and in fact, as as far as I remember, uh, the prime minister was uh, uh, in back in two thousand and two was very much lobbying for Poland going to to war with Iraq mm -hmm. exactly because it was an opportunity later to mm -hmm. to uh, to use, to have some contract with oil and and rebuilding rebuilding of Iraq right yeah. after they destroyed it ah, yes exactly so and there's a one one more thing i want to say is that if you look at the at the glo globe and if you fly from united states to middle east you have to fly over poland it's naturally on the on the flight path. On the flight path, because you know Earth has the curvature, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so uh, they they like flying to Afghanistan. They reload, actually, they they reload the fuel refuel mm -hmm. exactly in Poland over Poland. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense also with those uh, allegations about CIA mm -hmm. prison planes landing in Poland. Yeah, you mentioned that earlier on. Um, that's the whole hot topic of the CIA's rendition, extraordinary rendition yes. program, which is a strange term for essentially kidnapping people and torturing them. Uh, kidnapping them in one country, flying them into another country or several other countries for the purpose of torture. Um, and while a lot of it's recently come out uh, as a result of European Union um, uh, investigation and yes. report about pretty much every country in Europe or uh, almost every country in Europe um, hosted uh, yes. these planes, if only for a stopover. Uh, but in Poland, there was... There was uh, only two countries that were mentioned and possi possible locations of the secret ECA prisons, and this was Poland and Romania. Yeah. And as far as I was reading, because these days, these articles from the last year disappeared from the net already, so I had to rely on my memory today to, to find things about this, was that um, there was some uh, agent training, secret agent training facility close to the airport there where CIA planes were repeatedly landing, mm -hmm. which would make sense. Mm -hmm. So if they were bringing anybody and there was a, a facility which was... Uh, short driving distance from the airport, then that makes sense that they could also use that facility in case they would like to have some services by the Polish, you know, interrogation mm. services agents. Um, yeah, I mean, it's one thing to, to allow a plane to stop over in your country for a few hours with one of these unfortunate individuals who 
who were um, abducted by the CIA, but it's another thing to have an actual detention facility on, on, your, on, on your soil and to allow the CIA to go about its dirty, its dirty job. Um, I mean, that's to me suggests a, a deeper involvement. Uh, and there was one. The there was one, and there it was uh, last year. The, the discussion w- wasn't about landing planes, but the discussion really was about whether there are prisons. This year, when I was checking the media already, there was a spin which totally removed the information about there being any prisons, only about planes landing. So Mm -hmm. since they took it off, uh, you know, the Internet, it must suggest that Mm -hmm. we we may speculate that there were actually some facilities, Polish facilities used for that. Mm. And just by way of explanation on this CIA's extraordinary rendition program, also known as abduction and torture. I mean, what seems to be the case uh, is that this is basically, obviously it's a part of the war on terror. It's presented by the American government as a necessary part of the war on terror where they they uh, identify and arrest um, individuals in any countries. This has happened to German citizens, Canadian citizens, but a lot of people from Pakistan, mm-hmm. Afghanistan, uh, who were arrested by local authorities or arrested by the American uh, authorities themselves in those countries and taken on planes and taken to various countries around the world, um, most notably Morocco, Syria, Jordan, Mm -hmm. uh, little enclaves, American enclaves, and handed over to certain people for for torture to extract from them admissions of guilt uh, about uh, terrorist activities, Muslim, Islamic terrorist activities. Um, From the reports that have come out, and these are freely available on, on on news sites on the internet um, a lot of these people are innocent completely innocent and they were uh, the purpose was to extract by force out of them false confessions to their participation in Islamic terrorism and it seems that the whole goal was to simply uh, use these people to create evidence for mm-hmm. uh, Islamic terrorism that it exists when it does not exist in the way that the American government and the Israeli government and the British government claim uh, and Polish government as and, well, and the Polish government and many other governments uh, claim, uh, because that's it, it doesn't exist in the way they claim it as this yes. organised uh, worldwide Islamic terrorism. But they needed to create the evidence for their accusation, for their claims, and this is how they're doing it. This is the core of the CIA uh, rendition program. And beyond that, once the news gets out that the CIA is kidnapping and torturing Arabs and Muslims from around the world, then that is going to perhaps create the very conditions that they claim are already there as people become righteously indignant at what's going on and some of them may be able to be manipulated into... Just providing more evidence. Yes. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes. It also serves to scare the hell out of people, you know, because they can release this handful of people who they, you know, say, you know, yeah, they were innocent and, of course, they'll, they'll put on a few little show trials and, you know, a couple hands will be slapped and really nothing will be done about the whole process and... So not only does it create the whole, uh, you know, create a potentially real, uh, real terrorism, uh, because people are, are going to going to start, you know, actually fighting back against it instead of it being simply manufactured. But it also serves to. Um, uh, I'm, I'm reminded of the story of the uh, the the Arab man who was uh, captured, and I don't recall exactly where, but he was. We had it on the science page, and he was captured and. The torture that he underwent was um, uh, uh, the torture used a scalpel and made uh, many many cuts on his penis, and this the story was just completely 
I mean, it was just, you know, completely disgusting and horrifying and, and like terrifying. And of course, you know, I mean, you, you sit there and you think like, oh, it's great that, you know, this guy got out and, you know, oh, you know, we'll have justice and everything. But I mean, the obvious point of releasing stories like that is to, you know, at least partially to keep everyone in line because now you're all, you know, terrified of, you know, that, oh my God, that's going to happen to me or, or to my child or. Everybody's a potential terrorist. Obviously it casts serious suspicion. And also a question over um, over the the alleged uh, confessions or the, the the convictions that the American government has had of supposed Islamic terrorists who were subjected to this kind of torture and who obviously would say anything, and then the government, the American government, lauds these convictions as evidence of Islamic terrorism. It's just ridiculous. It's very it's very obviously a. A, a manipulation. And we should also remember about the fear factor that this, uh, when you release such information like uh, George Bush uh, t- yesterday, that that uh, there are such prisons that outside of United States. Mm-hmm. What kind of message it uh, tells to American people? And also the, the yeah the recent um, kind of uh, news stories about the fact uh, about the uh, about the fact that American ordinary American citizens uh, can be terrorists now uh, ordinary citizens who are not necessarily Muslim or have any association with any supposed um, uh, Islamic terrorist groups that they can be terrorists and they also can have their penises yes. cut. <laughs> And they can be taken away from the United States for interrogation. And uh, when you put those two things together, then mm-hmm. it's uh, clearly that uh, this there is an association made between you know, domestic terrorists and prisons outside of the United States for the purpose of extracting mm-hmm. you know, information from such terrorists. Very subtle warning. Yes. You mentioned that in doing some research for this today, you found that some of the articles that discussed the secret detention centers had been removed from the Internet. Yes. You said a little earlier that under the communist rule, there was a very clear division between the government and the media and the people, and people were aware they were living in a government that had been imposed upon them, and there was no trust of the government. There was no trust of the media. Yes. You've described now how in the post-communist epic uh, the media has become very Americanized. Yes. Uh, do people have the same distrust of the government in the media that they had then, or do they think that now they have a free media? And you know, what's the situation? Well, generally, what I see among Polish is that they are generally distrustful towards politicians. So they they don't trust politicians. They generally. And this is all has grounds because what politicians are doing in Poland is really, it's a little bit ridiculous, you know, the kind of scandals that uh, surface. So there is very big distrust towards any politicians in general. However, I think that uh, maybe uh, after 2000, the people started to kind of forgot a little bit about the press and the media being in the hands of the government because we have so many uh, private media. And they kind of thought, oh, all right, so there is a public uh, television and radio, and these still tell lies, or the government side of the story. But there is this plethora of uh, uh, so-called independent uh, media, which which tells uh, more or less the real story. But uh, this, you know, and when I talk with people, they tend to bring up the sources like uh, the biggest Polish radio, Radio Z, Radio Z, or the RMF FM, another radio, 
or um, or or uh, portals like uh, web portals like onet.pl as sources of information whereas clearly when you start reading them and you compare them to the story stories in America on 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 uh, CNN or uh, and the MSNBC NBC or Fox News especially then it's it's it becomes apparent that there is a spin to the news and this was um, so apparent during the attack on Lebanon how the Israeli part of the story was quant quantity wise you know in terms of quantity how much they were talking about casualties and what was going what what Israelis experienced as opposed to what the Leban Lebanese experienced mm -hmm. and all the pictures of the of the of the victims of the attacks of the Israeli attacks were surgically removed from the press whether this was a uh, this was a paper press or internet press so it sounds like it's pretty much like it is everywhere else unfortunately <laughs> yes unfortunately yes yeah same shit different day <laughs> only maybe that one thing that i still notice in discussions that people are I don't know, intrinsically not trusting government, which they don't trust government when they, we, we have two brothers uh, governing uh, in Poland and we called, they are called Kaczynscy. Kaczka means a duck in Polish, so we called it Kaczorland. And we, we are making fun of them and we are not trusting them. And this mm -hmm. is one thing that is quite common, that people don't trust them. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you mentioned at the beginning that um, under the communist government, people were aware that they were living under an overt dictatorship, and yes. uh, they knew that they had no, uh, had very restricted kind of rights and yes. liberties. But now people supposedly have liberties and have uh, rights and can do much more and can buy lots more. But basically what you've said is that the only thing that changed really was the, the things that people can buy in a way. Um, I mean, is that the case? Is there, in terms of, you know, in terms of speaking to this idea that is prevalent in America particularly, that once communism is gone, everything changes. Uh, has everything changed in terms of, at, 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 on the, in the big picture? Well, as you said, the what changed was the so-called economic freedom, or you, co you could see it as economic slavery, because a few people have lots of money, and most of the society lives on the verge of lives for two, three hundred dollars a month. So you could say that, yeah, that there, that you know, this is what changed that you have more goods on the market. But as far as um, civil liberties, there was some freedom at the beginning of nineties. And that freedom probably from the time that the post-communists got back to power, which was around 2096 or seven, this was, um, they were returning to the same system. And what happened after 2001, after 9-11, this is like what's happening to every other country in the world, like Canada, Australia, UK. We are losing freedoms by the day and the terrorism is used as justification for shutting down freedoms left and right. Was there, when the Iraq war started and Poland uh, supported it and committed troops, what was the public opinion in, uh, in Poland? Was it for or against the war? Well, when I was reading uh, commentaries on the, on the web pages, on the web, you know, web uh, information servers, uh, I mean news servers, then I would notice that most people were against it. 
Okay, so basically, under under communism, you had uh, you had a government, uh, and you knew you, you knew you had no rights, and the government could do what it wanted. It it could wage war, or it could uh, enact any policies it chose, and mm-hmm. people could do nothing. Uh, now, under capitalist and open and free Poland and part of the European Union, uh, in terms of uh, that level of government, nothing has changed. Uh, no, nothing Pol- has changed. Only the perception the, of people. The Polish government, uh, the Polish democratic government, still. Uh, Joins a war, uh, regardless yes. of the regardless of the opinion of the Polish people. Yes. But the good thing is that they can now buy Levi jeans. So that's what uh, that's what capitalism means to Poland. Is As education and healthcare still free in Poland? Mm. Well, education is still um, so called daytime ed- education, which means you know daytime universities are free still. They are not in Hungary, for example. But uh, mm, healthcare is still free, but uh, what they offer in the free packet of services is really minimal, so you have to pay for it, actually. Mm-hmm. So when I look at you know, what we have now in Poland, what we had in the in 80s, for example, we didn't have all those goods, we didn't have cars, but we have a fairly uh, decent um, healthcare system without any troubles to access it. We had a fairly decent uh, education system, so I'm not, you know, praising communism here, but obviously in terms of uh, uh, enslavement and in terms of, uh, you know, what's going on in this society, I would say that we, we are more slaves now than we were under the communistic rules because we are slaves of the government and we are slaves of the, of the money or, or lack of, their, of the money. So, uh, and this is, believe me, many people tell that, that they, they, they feel that they are much more enslaved now and they, they struggle to make uh, ends meet. And that's maybe the problem with, uh, with America, in that Americans have never had that kind of a contrast. Americans, obviously, you know, living under the same kind of system that, that people in Poland are living under, are an extreme, a more extreme version of it, um, they are slaves also, slaves to money and slaves to big business and big government, but they just don't know it because they have nothing mm-hmm. to compare it to. Uh, and obviously they don't have the history of mistrust of government yes. either. You know, the trouble now, uh, I also see one thing that uh, in 80s it was very simple, us and them. And what Polish, most of the Polish can't, can't cope with is that it, it's not that simple anymore, right? It's not that anymore us about them because there's many us. Mm-hmm. And many of them, you know, there's like there's no one public that is being governed by the dictator, dictatorship, dictatorship. But uh, and, you know, so this is difficult because they cannot really understand what's going on. Really, like they knew very well, oh, the government was bad, was evil. The, the pr- press was propaganda. It's not like this anymore. And they cannot recognize what is re- what's really going on. So this is in a way much more difficult for people who are living now in Poland and Eastern Europe because they, they, they don't trust government, but they don't understand where, how, what's the real situation because it is all being carefully managed. Well, we will leave it there. We'd like to thank Oliver for coming in and talking with us about his observations on Poland and Eastern Europe, pre-communist and post-communist. For more information on these subjects or to discuss tonight's podcast, you can come to the Signs of the Times forum. There is a link to the forum from the Signs page, and you'll find the Signs page at www.signs-of-the-times.org. 
Thank you, and we'll see you next week.